As we expressed a moment ago, we are so glad that you're here. The rains have gone, the sun is shining, and it is a beautiful, beautiful day outside. And as the Scripture said, this is the day the Lord hath made. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I do this quite often. I start off with a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the term or you think of a victorious worship service? Well, in some people's minds, it comes down to the numbers on the scoreboard. Attendance today, offering today, attendance last Sunday, offering last Sunday. The higher the numbers, the more successful the worship service. How many people were present? If the crowd's up to par, well, that's wonderful. But if the crowd's off from what it was a few weeks ago, or it's off from what it was five years ago, ten years ago, or twenty years ago, oh, the worship service was a failure. Let's understand something. The numbers on the scoreboard are not indicative of a victorious worship service. What I want us to do for a moment this morning is I want us to look at a victorious service. And our story begins in the book of Acts, chapter 10. And it's actually a most interesting story if you just actually read the entire chapter. It takes place in the land of Palestine. It's 50 or so miles northwest of Jerusalem. And the central character in our story is a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a military man. He's a centurion in charge of a group of Italian soldiers. And as you read the story, you notice what Dr. Luke says about the character of this man Cornelius. He was a devout man. He was a military man. He was a Roman centurion, and yet he was a worshiper of the living God. He was also a man who was very generous. He was charitable. He gave much to the people, to the community around him. We're also told something else. We're told that this Roman officer Cornelius was also a man of prayer. And we're told even further that he was such a good man that it reflected in the conduct of his entire household. Because his household was devout as a result of the influence of the life of this man Cornelius. Sadly, though Cornelius was a good man and though he was a devout man, he was not a Christian. He had not yet been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it seems, as Dr. Luke tells the story, that the prayers of Cornelius went up as a memorial before God. You see, that's one thing to note about Cornelius. He was just as religious as his knowledge permitted him to be. And as his prayers went up as a memorial to God, an angel appeared to Cornelius. And the angel told him to send to the city of Joppa and inquire there for Peter. And said, you bring him here and he's going to tell you words 
whereby you and your entire household can be saved. So being a God-fearing man, Cornelius did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. And at once he sent men to Joppa for Peter. But if you read the Scripture, while Cornelius is there waiting for Peter to come, he was not idle. Verse 24 tells us that Cornelius waited, and while he waited, he called together his kinsmen and his near friends. This story is a record of a service that you and I would call a tremendously successful, victorious service. Now, I want you to believe me when I tell you this. That is more than you can say for every service conducted in the church. Over the last 50 plus years since I preached my first sermon, I have seen folks over the years leave the worship service as if they had been anywhere except beside the still waters. I've seen folks leave the worship service that looked like they had spent the last hour trudging through a desert without a canteen. I've seen folks leave the worship service that looked like they'd just gotten a root canal. I've even seen the time I've wanted to ask some wretched soul walking out, did it hurt much today? How do you really feel? But this service wasn't like that. This service was a success. And those that were present were helped. And they were uplifted and they were inspired. And some of them were completely transformed. And I venture to say there was no one present that day that ever forgot this service. And there were some that in later years no doubt spoke of it with glad and grateful tears. Well, what do we find in this great, victorious, successful service? Well, the first thing you find is the congregation or the audience actually made its contribution. You may not realize it, but in any worship service, the part played by the congregation is of great importance. Some folks think that the success and victorious nature of a service the success or failure of a service depends almost entirely on the preacher. Or if not entirely on the preacher, it depends on the preacher and the song leader. And most folks feel like their role in the worship service is largely passive. That of a spectator. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth than this. Now, to be sure, a great deal depends on the preacher and a great deal depends on the song leader. I mean, I knew a guy one time that was, was we were talking and someone asked the question, well, how much time do you spend in preparation for your sermons? This one guy said, I don't spend any time in preparation. 
You what? Nope. I just walk in the pulpit on Sunday morning and wait for the Holy Spirit to guide me what I'm going to say. Sometimes I don't know when to keep my mouth shut. If you have any doubts about that, ask Norma. She'll tell you. I said, yeah, and I bet when you get up it shows you hadn't prepared, doesn't it? I was right. So a great deal depends on the preacher. Has he prepared? Has he studied? Is he ready to face a congregation hungry and thirsty for the Word of God? It depends on the song leader. Has he selected songs that can be sung? But write this down. It's on the final exam. There is also a great deal that depends upon the audience or the congregation. There are audiences. And there are people that sit in audiences that by their expression and by their very presence can almost breathe life into the dead. And there are others that can throw buckets of cold water on the hottest enthusiasm you ever saw. The audience that day was an audience that got the very best they could get out of that preacher. And you've got to wonder something. How did they accomplish it? Well, for one thing, it was an audience that was present. When Peter got there that day, do you know? did you read or do you know what Cornelius said to them? When Peter got there that day, Cornelius said unto him, We are all present before God. You know, one of the things that's needed in the church all over this world of ours is a deeper conviction on the importance of being present. There's, there's something a little difficult sometimes about preaching in a building that's largely empty. I really learned that last year when we had the COVID shutdowns. And on Thursday I was preaching Sunday's sermon and putting it on video to be broadcast on Sunday morning simultaneously with our in-person services. Imagine what it's like to stand up here with nothing in this room but you and a camera and preach as if this building's full of people. I thought about getting some cardboard cutouts. It's like preaching in a lumber yard with all the empty pews or it's like preaching in a fabric store with all the padded pews but it's hard preaching in a lumber yard or a fabric store and then I've heard people people depressed and discouraged and downhearted say and pray oh Lord we know where two or three are gathered and you know what that does it causes me to lose some of the thrill of being gathered with the saints of God when I realize some folks are more concerned and conscious of not the divine presence, but the human absence.
but an audience that's present. And an audience that's engaged. And an audience that you can look out there and, and you can actually see people's eyes. And you can actually see a facial expression when you say something that's either somewhat funny or so stupid you laugh at the guy that said it. You know that audience is engaged and they're listening. And an audience that's present is an audience that inspires. Over the years I've heard folks excuse their chronic absence. Well, I was with you in spirit. Folks, I want to say this as kindly as I can and yet as emphatically as I can. An audience of ghosts is a very depressing audience. It just doesn't do much for you. And you know what else? An audience of ghosts is an absolute disaster when you take up the offering. A present audience. That's what Cornelius had. But there was something else. Cornelius said, we're all here gathered before God. And they were an expectant audience. They hadn't come together with bored and listless indifference. They didn't come there, well, oh, it's Sunday, we've got to go to church today. They had come there eagerly. And they had come there expectantly. Because they were sure they were going to hear the Word of God and something wonderful was going to take place. Cornelius and his near kinsman and his friends had come together that day as eagerly as children running downstairs on Christmas morning to see what Santa Claus has brought. Why? Why was that audience so expectant? Why was that audience so eager? Why were they so ready for Peter to be there? Their expectancy was not because they had heard how scholarly this former fisherman was. And they were not expectant because they had heard about what a wonderful auditor Peter was. Now granted, their, their expectations were somewhat based in some measure on Peter. I mean, after all, he was the expert. He was the guy from the next town. That's who the expert always is. But their expectations were based far more upon Peter's Lord than they were upon Peter. Because you see, Cornelius and his friends had been praying for light. And Cornelius and his friends had been praying for leading. And they believed that the answer to their prayers was when this preacher had come. Here's what Cornelius said to Peter. We are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded of thee, of God. Now be assured, the preacher that day made his contribution. Cornelius said, Peter, we take it that you're here today under divine orders. Do we realize what a high responsibility Peter had that day? And do we realize what a holy privilege that Peter had that day? You know, one of the things that weighs on 
my mind more heavily than anything oftentimes is the fact that in any audience of any size I may be delivering the last sermon I'll ever deliver to someone in that audience. And this was brought home to me many years ago when I was just a boy preacher. And trust me, that's been a while. But I preached one Sunday and there was a man there in the audience. Very devout man, very faithful member of the congregation. He'd been absent the Sunday before because his heart was giving him some issues. and He'd been hospitalized for a few days. I asked him that morning, I said, Brother so-and-so, how are you this morning? He said, I'm better. Than, he said, I'm better, but he said, you know, I get concerned. And I said, what concerns you? He said, well, I read the paper and I read about people dying that never died before. And we both laughed. On Thursday of that week, I preached his funeral. The very first funeral I ever preached, Leon. I had no idea that Sunday he was hearing the last sermon he'd ever preach. He'd ever hear preached. He died on Tuesday night. So at any point, I could be delivering the last sermon that someone might be hearing. And I better be prepared that day. And I better be able to tell people what God's will for their life might be. You know, Peter did the same thing that day with Cornelius that Philip did when he met the eunuch. When Philip, that hitchhiking deacon, got in the chariot with that eunuch that day, he asked him, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I, except man should guide me? And that eunuch was reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his share is done, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And it says that Philip began at that same scripture and did what? He preached to him Jesus. This coming October, it will have been 21 years since I came and stood in this pulpit for the first time. There's a couple of faces out there that were here that morning. I still remember the sermon I preached that day. I don't know if you do or not. I certainly wouldn't ask you because it hurt my feelings if it wasn't memorable enough for you to still know what it was. I preached that day on if I had but one sermon to preach. And I told the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and I said, here's what I think Philip would have preached if he preached Jesus. That's what Peter did. He told that audience gathered at the house of Cornelius about Jesus Christ. And what happened? What happened that day when Peter preached? Well, suppose you'd met Cornelius on the street the next day and you said, Hey, Cornelius, you're at the donut shop. That'd be a good place. You know, you and Cornelius are at the donut shop together. Cornelius, I heard you had the preacher at your house yesterday. Yeah? Total lack of enthusiasm. Yeah, we had the preacher at home. That's house yesterday. 
And so what's the next logical question? Well, you had the preacher. How was the service? And Cornelius takes a deep breath and he said, Well, uh, I suppose it was fairly good as such things as that go. And he goes on and said, The wife said that the sermon was a very scholarly sermon. It was a very profound sermon. said, Be truthful. I, I didn't really hear much of what I just kind of zoned out and left it with him. But that's not what Cornelius said. Cornelius understood what the preacher said that day. And if I met Cornelius in the street and, and I asked him about it, I can see his face become radiant. As Cornelius says, the preacher told us how that salvation wasn't just for Jews anymore. He told us how that salvation was for everybody. Everybody that would just do the simple things the Lord wants them to do. You know, this, this guy that came to my house yesterday, and I had my friends and my kinsmen there. He was the same fellow that preached in Jerusalem on Pentecost not that long ago. And everybody knows what happened there on Pentecost. And he told us to repent, to be baptized, and to wash away our sins in the blood of Jesus, just like he did those on Pentecost. And I can see how excited Cornelius would have been to tell people about that. Now I want you to do something. I want you to use your sanctified imagination. And go about 50 years into the future with me from that day that Peter went to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius, the military man's an old man now. And he's in an assisted living center in Caesarea. And a young boy, his great-grandson, climbs up into his lap and hugs his neck. And he says, Poppy, tell me a story. And the kindly old military says, Son, Poppy doesn't know any more stories. But the little fellow, his great-grandson, persists and says, Tell me about the time you were praying. Tell me about the time you were praying. And God sent the angel and told you where to find the preacher. The old man's face brightens. He said, oh, you want to hear that again? You see, that's a story Cornelius likes to tell the best. And I can almost hear him by an ear of faith as he begins to tell the story. He said, well, a long time ago, when your grandfather was a youngster just like you are right now, I was praying. And Cornelius then relates the events of that day just like it was yesterday. And he finishes. And the little boy has a question. And he says, Poppy, was what the preacher said that day true? And Cornelius said, oh yes, boy. Yes, it was true. Everything he told me about Jesus Christ was true. And I've been happier since then than I ever was in my life. Because I came to know Jesus. Now, I've got a bit of bad news for you. Peter's not here today. So you've got to make do with what you got. But I do know something. 
I know what Peter told Cornelius and his household to do. I know what Peter told those on Pentecost to do. I know what Philip preached. And I know what Paul preached. They said that they had to believe in Jesus Christ with all their heart. They had to turn their back on sin through repentance. They had to confess the name of Christ and be buried in baptism for the remission of past sins. That they had to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of their life. Not just part of their life, but all of their life. And I don't know the needs of your life, but if there are changes that need to be made for Jesus to be Lord of all your life, this is your opportunity to let those changes that you desire in your life be made known and let us help you with those as together we stand and while we sing.